Hello, everyone. Up and Coming is a very fun and non-scripted, random conversation with no other than my brother, Jack. And it's a very comical, vulnerable, playful, sometimes serious conversation that covers all sorts of interesting topics. Loads of fun to listen to. It's going over his life, including from school to college years, uh, experimenting with psychedelics. After quitting college, getting into underground poker rooms, I throw in who is God? Like, who is God, man? What do you think God is? It's interesting, his answer. Um uh, and my question is, a couple of them are ridiculous. Uh, we talk about therapy. Uh, he has a near-death experience that we go over in Mexico. Very bad place to have a near-death experience. The changes he's had in his diet from getting fat and losing weight. And we talk about the food pyramid and the FDA. <laughs> what a joke. Um, his uh, son being being a father now. Um, what that's like. And he's got a great new job working project management in this construction company that's phenomenal now for him. Where can you take a pee and shoot a shotgun at the same time? I mean, there's some random stuff in here and it's just going to be fun. It's a fun, loaded conversation just with randomness and it's interesting. It's all over the place. It's something to just enjoy over the holiday season here coming into New Year's Eve. Take a listen to it at your leisure and enjoy it and keep it real, folks, as always. Take care and enjoy the conversation between me and Jack. P.S. Don't get mad. There is some problems with this new mic that I was trying to sort out while recording with it. And also, this is during a holiday event with family members, so there's background noise. So it's not the best recording you'll ever hear, but it's still a damn good one. So just shut up and enjoy it. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for showing up for another Keeping It Real with Jay Scott. And today I have a special guest that I'm very excited to have with me. It's my brother, Jack. Hey, guys. And there he is. You can hear. We sound pretty similar, but I think you'll still be able to distinguish between us. We used to get this uh, twin bullshit all the time when we were younger. Um, oh, yeah. But we grew out of that. Obviously, I had stunted growth, and Jack took off and left me, and he's six foot five now, and I'm still stuck at six foot. Yeah. I can remember some times, actually, when we were kids, before cell phones came along, you know, when we were kids growing up and we had, you know, the landline. Everybody that's a little bit older knows what a landline is. Somebody would call to talk to Jason or call to talk to me, and, and it'd be one of the other of us, you know, answer the phone for each other's whoever it was calling us. And it was like they'd just start talking to one of us or something and then realize halfway into the conversation, it's like, hey, wait, you're not Jack or you're not Jason. It's like, but y'all sound just alike. It's a good way to get some dirt on somebody if you can sound exactly like that person. <laughs> you can definitely pull some pranks on some people. So, yeah, we went through a phase where we were always uh, mistaken for one another. Uh, looks wise when we were really young before Jack hit his growth spurt and then our voices always duped people it seems like oh yeah so since you're my guest here and I've got you at my whim to do my bidding <laughs> let me go ahead and 
ask you um, from your childhood. I want to throw it back and talk to you about some stuff that interests me and I think will interest other people. Once upon a time, you were an athlete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, ever since I can remember when I was a young kid, our dad always had us playing some kind of sport around the house whenever oh, we were yeah, kids. Dude, me too, but I was not the athlete. You were no. the athlete. Yeah. Well, Dad taught us to play baseball, I think, was one of the first things, you know, with the the little plastic bat, the wiffle ball bat, and the wiffle balls. Yeah, there's no athleticism involved in getting the wiffle but ball bat and knocking the ball into your dad's nuts. No, but that's where it all starts, you know. You, you've got to you've got to discover a desire that you like something, and that's where it all kind of started for me was in the backyard just doing okay, simple stuff like that. Or, the fire. So Jack got Jack's very competitive. I'll tell you that much. So that ignited well, the fire. I was an athlete, yeah. Yeah, so there, they, it ignited the fire, knocking the wiffle ball into Dad's nads, and then from there you took off and said, I want to do what? Play baseball, play basketball. What was next? Uh, I think really the next thing was we had the basketball goal at the house in the driveway. Remember that? So one this is before you got into competitive sports. You're going slow. You're step by step. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is just kind of, I'm just giving people a background how it all just kind of started or whatever. And then, of course, it's like all, we had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and close by from school that played sports too. So once they found out we had a basketball goal or we were playing baseball and our dad was playing with us or whatever, it's like, hey, well, let's go play with them. They've got, you know, this, this the game going on. We want to go be a part of it. Oh, and dude, tell me you remember this. Getting the mini trampoline next to the basketball goal because oh, we're yeah. too damn short to dunk, so we jump off that trampoline and do our air joint. Ten, ten years old, we're out there, yeah. <laughs> Slam! We're full on just having dunk competitions, 360 dunks and windmills and all that good stuff. And we had that guy I love to death but pulled the most dumbass fucking move I've ever seen. I know what you're going to say already. Kevin Crossen yeah. set the trampoline at what we called our free throw lines to see if he could do a Michael Jordan. It's about 12 feet. It was too damn far for a little kid to try. And he extended out like Superman, like horizontally. He looked like he was going to kiss the rim, literally. But he fell just short of the rim and in that horizontal position went straight head first into the garage and crumpled into a pile of just... Was, he was a heat dude. He was when it first broke. happened. I thought he was dead or that he was like had a broke neck or something. I was like, "There's no way this guy's gonna survive this." It's like it was that horrible. But Kevin was so resilient. But that was a funny moment. Yeah, he just he he got up and kind of shook it off or whatever. And then after that, it was like, man, that was bunk. <laughs> That's why he got the nickname the Bunkster. <laughs> if something could go wrong, Kevin can make it bunk. He just had a knack. But yeah, hey, I loved him though. He was fun to have around always. Uh, he was he's a good guy. He just man, the guy no matter what he did, he had the Midas touch for having something go wrong all the, the time. The Midas touch fucking <laughs> shit up. The Midas touch of fucking shit up. I've never heard anybody this, say that. The golden touch of fucking shit up. Yeah, like okay. George on Seinfeld. It was like if anything could go wrong, it went wrong for this guy, and then it went wrong times ten. Yeah. Oh, remember, so. remember, God at the lake, the one year everybody's doing donuts and stuff in their car. Talk hey. about that. <laughs> that 
would get us off the point of me wanting to talk to you about your life. But yes, if sure. I want to do a whole episode about the bunkster, we'll, we'll could, talk about bunkster again another day. But can, yeah, there's plenty of good stories from back that, in the old days. Yeah, that's, that's an easy hour or two episode right there. So yeah, that just tied into your athletic prowess and where you were going with. Oh yeah, I got a little bit off topic. I have ADD real bad, so I tend to do that. But well, it's not ADD. This is just a. This is non-scripted. This is just us bullshitting. So yeah. let it go where it may. I just don't want to get too tired uh, of talking about Kevin. I guess on the back on the sport thing, I started really getting more serious about sports in junior high. Uh, was when I first started playing like baseball on a team and stuff like that. Uh, in seventh grade, I was playing pony league baseball. Uh, sixth and seventh grade. And I found out that I was just really good at a lot of things with baseball. I could, A, I could hit, and I could get on base every time, and I was fast, so I could steal bases, and the coaches loved that. So next thing you know. Had a good arm, too? Yeah, they had me playing. I was out in center field, and when I wasn't in center field, like one out of every four games, I'd get to go up there and pitch or something, too, because I could throw the ball real hard and get it over the plate. You had many gifts in sports besides. I mean, it wasn't just localized to baseball. You were gifted at football, too. Football was my absolute favorite. I just I wanted to go out and just absolutely annihilate and crush somebody whenever I was playing I think there was something pent up there, maybe some aggression needed to release. There was. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely had some stuff going on there. Uh, I was kind of, I guess, a little bit distraught and angry as a kid because, you know, everybody's got something. You hey, know. everybody's already heard my life story. But, and if you listen to who's behind the mic on Keeping It Real here, I talked all about us growing up and grandmother and, you know, she had severe arthritis, kind of a bipolar personality, sweet one second, yeah. the next second beating you. Bless her heart. She did the she best did she could. On. So maybe some of that you took out onto the field and ran over other kids with it. That, that was part of it, but also I, after doing some deep soul searching here just in the last few years, I, I tried to get back at why some of the things that I had bother me in my life and even throughout my life, some up until this point this day, and I, I dug a little bit, and it was like, you know, I, I always wanted Dad to be there at one of my games or see me play, and that was something that never came to fruition the whole time I played sports I in junior high and high school. Everybody does. Everybody uh, always wants their dad to see him. And, and, yeah, I just wanted him to be proud because I, he taught me to do everything that I could knew how to do, and, and I was he was the reason, the driving force behind why I did what I did. I wanted my dad to be proud of me. That was the main reason I played it's sports just, after I was younger. You I got to where I loved it. So many kids, it's just acknowledgement. They just want the the father figure they look up to so much in life just to acknowledge them and say, yeah. good, good job, son. You did fantastic. Well, yeah, it was just that simple. As Like I said, I just wanted my father to be proud of what I had learned to do based off of what he had taught me when I was younger. I, I really dedicated myself to it and looked at it as a craft, and I wanted to be the best I could at every sport that I played, no matter what. I took it that serious. Right on. Right on. It will feel like it's like that with me in life. It's like if you're going to do anything, there's no point to doing anything halfway. If you're not going to do it 100 or 110% and give well, it your all, those things you just may as well go do something else. You're wasting your time. So I have only gotten to an older, wiser age to reflect back on my life and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. I didn't always interject my uh, willpower and desire and um, all the, you know, mojo that I had. I didn't put it into everything I did growing up. So now I know if you're not going to do it 100%, it's almost just not worth doing. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's the way dad was. Think about it, too. Our dad, our dad was that kind of a person with all of his work and his interactions with people. He knew how to make people feel special. He was gifted at that and, and making people feel important and loved. But uh, he had some deficiencies from whenever he was growing up, too. I think, you know, with granddad, we, they had a real dysfunctional household, our granddad. There's so many people you can look at coming from dysfunctional homes, and some of them turn out to be the biggest superstars of the well, world. And you go, how the fuck did they pull that off? I don't have a freaking clue. It can be detrimental to someone, or it can be a plane or a place for them to start and launch, and launch off and, and say, hey, you know what? This doesn't have to define my life. I'm going to actually fly against this, and I don't have to be this way. You've got a decision, and you've got free will just like anybody else in life, and you can choose to either go the good route or the bad route. Yeah, you know? that's true. I, okay, so I don't mean to be, keep um, coming back to your athletic career or whatever, but let me know what it was that put an end to your athletic prowess because you had – a lot of people would say you had high hopes to do something maybe in a professional um, stance somewhere. I, it goes back to the attitude thing for me. I just had a bad attitude. Uh, my oh, senior well, Yeah, I agree. My, no, my senior <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, my senior year of high school, I'd actually been in a boys' home for the last uh, three years or whatever. I'd come back my senior year Still to Burley. football, though, right? Yeah, I played football all through high school. Um, I was starting free safety up at uh, – Cal Farley's Boys Ranch, northeast of Amarillo, for two years in a row on varsity, starting on my sophomore year and my junior year. Right. And then they had me as backup quarterback, and I played, you know, uh, a little bit of wide receiver, tight end, or whatever, too, on offense sometimes. Got to catch a couple touchdowns, nothing big. But I also did kick and punt returns, and that's kind of like a thing where you're on your own once you get the football. It's like it's your job to try to get to the end zone then, you know. So that was kind of fun. Uh but uh, is that where you started sliding away from the sports arena when you got to the that boys ranch? No, I, I was actually I was, I was as much into it then as I was anywhere else. I did football, baseball, basketball, track. I did rodeo. I mean, I would have never done rodeo had I not been. You rode there. bulls, right? I, I tried my hand at it, and I wasn't too good at that. I did that a couple times, and I was like, you know what? This just isn't working out for me. And then somebody was like, one of my other buddies that played football was a rodeo clown, and he was like, hey, man, you're like the fastest guy on the team in football. He's like, you'd be perfect at rodeo clown. He's like, and you get to kind of help, you know, save the guys from getting hurt and stuff. And I was like all down with that part of it and helping people. I've always had kind of like that heart or whatever as far as wanting to help people. So it's like, yeah, I'll use my gifts and, and try to go do that or whatever. So there I am. I'm running around in front of 2,000 pounds of beef every weekend during rodeo season. You have a ton of piss-off hamburger meat coming after you. And what, Dude, do yeah. they tie their nuts up or something to piss them off? What do they do? No, they, uh, they had these electric cattle shockers that they would hold in their hands or whatever. And as soon as they're getting ready to come out the gate, out the chute, they zap. They, they stick it right down between their legs on the bull's nutsack and ear, and oh, then they come oh flying God. out of the chutes all oh, pissed wonder. off and angry. And they, yeah, they come out like a freaking tornado, so no yeah. wonder. If somebody electrocuted your nards, you'd probably do the same or worse. Well, I'm sure it didn't feel good, but I'm glad I wasn't a bull, you know? So, <laughs> so I would never, ever put myself, subject myself to being in in front of that 2,000 pound piece of muscle that wanted to stick a horn through me or stomp the shit yeah, out of me. As luckily, yeah. Or as the rider, I commend those guys because that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. 
Well, luckily, I, whenever I was doing that, I only got hurt one time during my high school career. <laughs> we're trying to record, and we're getting shot at right now. Yeah, Christmas was yesterday, and everybody's got little pop guns. Oh, it's... Okay, we're back. We had to just take a, a brief pause for a moment. Um, but we're getting blasted, man, right Jack, in the ears. <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack's son is here with uh, his brand new Nerf blaster, whatever the hell it is. And we've got uh, we got unloaded on. Yeah, he loves his uncle Jason so much. He had to come blast him a little bit. Yeah, so bad timing uh, to get blasted in the middle of talking. But anyway, so we were talking about the rodeo clowning, the riding bulls. Um, anyways, you got away from that. Yeah, well, I was just was just to finish that part off or whatever. I was just saying it was like you know I was really fortunate and luck, lucky uh, doing three years of tri-state rodeo up there in Amarillo and uh, New Mexico and Colorado and Oklahoma, and I never I never got hurt really bad except just one time I got stepped on. But uh, outside of that, there was one time that I did. That could be a very bad incident. I've seen it before. There, there was, well, yeah, he got, I, well, what they teach you to do is when a bull's coming at you and if something happens, you can't say you can't get away from him or you slip and you fall right in front of him. Oh, you you don't want to just be sitting there, you know what I mean? No, you wanna... So what they teach you to do is use your inertia and get into a ball and barrel roll towards them so that they'll go over the top of you and then you can get out and zigzag another sure way. probably the best. The smartest thing you. The, the smartest thing I was ever taught to do, like whenever you're going to be a bullfighter or be out running around in front of a bull, is don't ever run in a straight line. Because a oh, bull yeah, can outrun yeah. you in a straight line. Yeah, yeah, they can't turn very So about every, about every two, two, three steps, if you're doing a 90-degree angle, whether it be left, right, whatever, it's like as long as you I mean, keep yeah. kind of zigging and zagging, you can kind of control a bull and you yeah, can pull them all around the sense, arena like we just said, how you want 2, to. 2,000 pounds turning on a dime is not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and some bulls are a little bigger and smaller, and some are more clunky, and some are more agile. So it's just it kind of depends on the bull too. But anyway. and some of them got bigger horns. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, I'm glad you got away from that. I mean, I'm sure it was a fun experience, and I'm all for adrenaline seeking and, and doing things that are fun and out of the ordinary. So it's probably a great experience to have under your belt, looking back on your past. But it taught you to deal with your fears real quick. <laughs> Definitely would be a way because I'm not I'm not gonna say that I wasn't terrified when I first started doing it. The first time I got out there, it was like I was a deer in headlights. Oh, I would be too. But I knew how to run. Would do it. I knew how to run, so I would just do that, and then they would be yelling at me, turn left, turn right. Because <laughs> so, I was okay, just so scared and didn't know what to do. So you did that. You did do the radio, the, the rodeo clown thing, and you faced your 2,000-pound hamburger patty running after you. <laughs> You were also playing football at the boys' ranch there. Oh, yeah. Football, baseball, basketball, track. I did all that, too. So you're still pursuing your athletic prowess. You're going after it. Well, if you're not playing sports out there during school, then you're working after school. So it's like I didn't want to work, so I played sports. Tell me, (laughs) since since you actually had talent and you had people looking at you and everything, what point did you just say, I don't want to do it anymore? Did, Actually, did it turn into partying too much, or I'm not interested in this anymore, or no. Uh, you, you remember my senior year? I ended up. I was old enough, so I signed myself out of Cal Farley's and left there, and decided to come back home and and live at home again, or whatever, with you guys. Well, I was going to go to school and do my senior year, but about. 
I think five to six weeks into the first school year or the first part of the school year, my senior year, it was like I'd had a run in with some of the coaches, I guess, or whatever, because I smoked cigarettes or something. And they were like giving me a hard time about that. And they're saying, you know, if you smoke cigarettes, you can't play sports. It's like, well, you know what? Well, then I don't need to be in school. Rebellion. So kind of like the dazed and confused thing the guy that was the quarterback in that movie it was like they were trying to tell him how to live his life and he said screw it i'm out of here that's kind of what i did i had a bad attitude well, a lot of coaches look at it like okay if you're going to be um joe blow uh, quarterback you're the leader of the team you are responsible for setting a standard for the other students you know you're responsible for that image to a certain extent I mean, not that you were going to be the quarterback of the team or whatever. No, and that wasn't, that wasn't that, my thing. I was I back at that, it. I think that's kind of the reason coaches say they don't want their um, athletes involved in derogatory crap like smoking and yeah, but at some point, it's like, I don't know, is it, it's like, are we just doing this to keep up a facade, or is this something that we really believe in that the kids need to do? I don't think the coaches, 100, all of them, 100% believe all that stuff. It's like, and I'm I'm big on being real. Of course, you are, too. So oh, it's yeah, like, I keep it, I keep it real. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, well, that's just not just the theme of the show, but it's just kind of the theme of my life. It's like, if you can't be yourself, then who are you? Right. And I think personally, if somebody is an outstanding football, basketball, baseball player, whatever, if they smoke cigarettes, then get over it. If they smoke weed, yeah, all through all through junior high, if they before. like to have drinks when they're not practicing. It's their weekend. Get over it. Leave them the fuck alone. As bad as it may sound, in junior high, the whole time I was going through junior high, I smoked cigarettes. You know, I mean, I smoked okay. Marlboros, Camels, whatever I could get my hands on. I remember, <laughs> but I was I could still go out there and run with the best of them, and nobody could catch me. So <laughs> there was one, maybe one person, Dusty Larabelle, old pickle or whatever. You remember pickle? Dusty was very he, fast. He could he could catch me, but he was I the only person. And uh, I don't know, was Brad Welch very fast? Yeah, he was pretty quick too, but he couldn't beat me. There was a couple dudes that were pretty quick, but you you had the long legs, long stride. People could beat me off the the starting line a little bit, but after I got two or three steps, nobody could catch me. Yeah, get them big freaking long legs. I had a, I had a real long stride. I was I was very tall in junior high and high school compared to a lot of other people. There was you maybe did. a few other people that were bigger than me. You hit that growth spurt, you took off. But, but I'm by no means a, an extra large human being. I'm only like barely over six three. So it's like I wasn't. We went to school with some guys that were six seven, six ten, and right well. Ryan Mendez, he was over seven foot tall, and he played basketball at Princeton. So, I mean, he was really tall. <laughs> he never went to the NBA, did he? No. Uh, and Steve Kelly, he was like six foot nine or ten. He was the quarterback at Burleson when we were in school there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was I was I was a fairly gifted athlete. I won't say that I was by any means like the most gifted athlete, but I had the no, desire. There, and there was a possibility there. I just wanted to ask real quick what it was that that made you throw it to the curb and say, "Hey, fuck this! I'm moving on with my life." Yeah, I mean, it was the it was the coaches at school, and I it was I'm not even going to put it on them. It was just me having a bad attitude and having the wrong mindset in life at that point. I didn't have somebody to help kind of give me the direction I think I needed and help set my mind straight. Oh well, I can totally 
agree with you that you know, Dap was a great role model and a great person, but he just didn't. wrong with the father figure that we No, he was but, great, dude. We had the best dad you could ever imagine. I mean, see, but I it just he this. didn't he didn't push us in that area or expect much from us or ask us about you know too much of like, hey, well, what's what's your plan or what are you gonna do? Or, there, that's the whole key is there. He was a great dad, but there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. Well, I think that's where he fell short. You know, just in on him or whatever, as far as like how his relationship was with his dad growing up. He was drunk all the time and, you know, slapping people around or whatever or toting a shotgun and being all crazy, whatever. So it's like he didn't get that loving, fatherly relationship like we kind of had. He gave us a loving relationship and he definitely abandoned being the bad father that his father was to him. Dad was just who he was. He had a good heart and a good soul. He was a great human being. By no means am I trying to criticize the way that he raised us because he did a fantastic job. No, me neither. I love my dad. Most important person in my whole life ever. Amen. Me too. But but just the cards he got dealt. Hey, the only thing you can look back at and say is there was not a lot of pressure. He was very supportive of whatever we wanted to do. Of course. He's like that with everybody that he came in contact with. All of our friends, he was that same way too. Well, that's why so many people adopted our dad as their father. Man, people would come hang out over at our house and he would he would cook for sometimes 10, 12, 15 people over hanging out with us on the weekends or when Jason was doing his band thing, he would always have people over to hear them record and jam. time I had a heavy metal band that kicked ass called Lockjaw playing music like what you hear yeah. in the intro of this uh, show here right now. You'll have to get out some of your old Lockjaw and download a few of your old tunes for him or whatever and let him hear it, man. Jason could jam. He, was, he had some good music going on back then. They used to play him on the radio and all kinds of stuff. He had a few, I think, opportunities with some people to play at, at some shows or something with some bigger bands a couple times, right? Oh uh, Yeah, we did. We played with Seven Dust. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That was a big deal. John Weatherspoon, good guy, man. Drowning Pool, Seven Dust. Yeah. We've had we had some big shows, but we never some, got, to do got some Dimebag Tales there, too. We got to hang out with Dimebag Daryl. He came on stage with us one time. Yeah. It was Pantera, Dimebag Daryl, super prodigy on the guitar, coolest cat in Texas. I, mean, I, I would just, guy, I would just say the coolest, guy. famous person I've ever met, period. As far as being the... the Talk the, about the, humble the, and down the, to earth. The best guitarist ever and absolutely stinking famous, just crazy freaking famous at the time that he came and walked on stage. I was playing, singing. I turn around. Don Daryl is headbanging on stage to me and my buddies playing. Yeah. So what a cool son of a bitch, dude. Throwing up his heavy metal horn sign. Just yeah. rocking out with us. And then afterwards, you guys fucking kicked ass, man. What? Yeah. I'm not shit compared to you. Yeah. Well, well, well he, had talent, he had more talent as Pinky than all of our group put together. He's just know? a music fan, and he was a fan of what y'all just were doing, a man. sweetheart of a guy. I'm so sad to say that he's gone over that faggot. That yeah, and there was, there was still several times, even after you first met him and that stuff happened or whatever, it's like when they weren't on tour and they were in town, he would show up occasionally at some of your shows and just randomly be there. I think he just hopped the scene because he liked it. Yeah. He just really did. He liked it. Yeah, he always had Rita and some a bunch of other chicks with him when he would go running around in his Escalade. You know, a cool story. No, no kidding. Remember the Cadillac Escalade that he drove up in a long time ago when we were over at Dreamworld? He was driving. Remember, he was driving a black Escalade back then. Well, long story short, he still has that Escalade, or he doesn't have it. His wife does, Rita. 
And uh, my ex-girlfriend that I was with, which I'm not going to mention any names or whatever. So her, always her, to keep that stuff secret. Her, her brother was the videographer for Pantera the whole time that they were going as a band. And he, he did all the Pantera videos, everything else, all their, you know, the vulgar display of Pantera videos, wow. and all their home videos, wow. everything home else. Videos. Bobby Tongs, everybody that, everybody that knows heavy metal or Pantera knows who that Bobby like Tongs is. heavy metal version of Jackass movies. Yeah. Well, it was, that was Jackass before Jackass. Yeah, almost. Jackass got their ideas from Dimebag and Pantera. I don't know about that. That was 10 years before Jackass but when they started doing it. it. But anyways. It, yeah, pretty similar. Uh, yeah, I used to, Bobby Tongs, I used to date his sister and good friends with them and some of their other friends became good friends of mine and we used to go over there and hang out and one night Rita was in town from her house in California and they decided that they all wanted to go to a Stars game and everybody was like well I want to drink I don't want to drive and I was like hey you know what I don't drink much anymore it's like I'll just not drink and I'll drive and I got the keys to the Escalade and drove everybody to the Dallas Stars game in the old Escalade that, that we met Don back in the first time he came out to that show at Dream World. What a small freaking world, dude. It was real surreal. I'm driving around Dimebag's That's girlfriend, Bobby Tongs in the back seat, my girlfriend, you know, his sister. We all loaded up in he the car and go do that. With you. <laughs> well, hey, you know, in his house, there's still all kinds of cool stuff you get to see. And I mean, if not everybody's got to do something like that, but it's like there's pictures of him and Zach Wild, and there's the old stop sign they ran over over in uh, Dowardenton Gardens whenever he was in town dude. drunk driving his high Z one night. That town's freaking police force but the most unbearable. Dime always was good about taking care of the guys at the police force and doing nice things for them, and they did nice things for him, so we'll just leave it at that. Wink, wink. Nobody ever got in trouble. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. How the hell did we get off on Down Bag Daryl? I don't know. We'll have to go back and listen to this whole podcast and see how that happened. Okay, so I know I was talking, I was in pursuit of my guest, which is you, um, yeah, we're just kind of, you know, I'm ADD, so, I, so. I, I'll tell you this. Don't keep reverting to that. You're not ADD. Mm-hmm. That's just some bullshit some doctor said you. <laughs> um, we're all ADD if you want to really get down to the bottom of it. I have attention. Okay, to- I'm high-functioning autistic. I'm, I'm a very light case of Asperger's. It's easy to get sidetracked <laughs> and go to different stuff, especially when me and you can have dialogue about any and everything and go. Me and Jason have a lot of, not just because we're brothers, but we have a lot of, we have a real rich history and we've done a lot of things in our life and we have a lot of interesting stories to tell that's kind of helped shape our lives up to this point, for sure. Very, very true. But at this point, the, the reason I'm trying to funnel this down into one single area, like concentrating on your athletic career, what I was going to finally ask you is what made you say the hell with it, screw it, move on and go to the next step in your life? Yeah, I mean, I just, I was, well, like I said, with the coaches that year when I had the bad attitude my senior yeah, so year. coaches, basically, they're trying to direct your life, and you said you're not going to direct my life. If you well, don't like me playing the way that I play and let me smoke my cigarettes, then. Well, I was old enough to legally smoke cigarettes. I wasn't smoking them in the school, in the in the restroom or something like that, and got caught. I'm smoking them in front of the ashtrays outside the doors where they had the ashtrays, you know, like a normal person. Right. I'm old enough to do it. I'm still playing sports. I still can go out and do my conditioning and everything like everybody else, why is that not good enough? Yep. My personal decisions, I'm an adult, shouldn't affect but it did. somebody else dictating to me how I'm going to live my life. So I was just, a, I was decided to be a hard ass and a hard head and 
and I didn't do anything but a disservice to myself. I didn't have to quit school. I could have just quit sports and finished and got my diploma. I was on my senior year. It was like I'd, I'd had A, B on a roll through high school up at Cal Farley's. It's like it would have been no problem, but instead I let my ego get to me, and I've since oh, then... I've done that so many times. Since then, <laughs> since then in my life, there was many more times that my ego got the best of oh, me. But ego's a fucking bitch. Sometimes I've, I wish I could just murder it and I've, get rid of it. I've got, I've got to where I've learned to lay a lot of things down. And, you know, for me personally, anyways, God's helped a lot with that. So if it wasn't for the big man upstairs, I wouldn't That's be the person I am today. Too. That's oh, huge. That's that all happened when I was a teenager. That was a big too. part of Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. When you were there, you found your spirituality. I, that's where I got saved, yeah. Yeah. When I was 15. It didn't save you from cigarettes, but it did save you. No, yeah. He, he didn't save me from my bad attitude right then either. But I tell you what, I had a relationship with the Lord from he gave you a new way of looking at things. And it didn't all take place in an instant, but you had spirituality. The most on fire I've ever been in my life for Christ was when I was 15 to 18. And I had such a close walk with okay. God. Quick question. <laughs> Is God white or black? I think God's just God. Does he have a vagina or a penis? Uh, I think God is God. Okay, so God is spirit. Yes. Okay, that's the he's, answer that I wanted to hear. He's but omnipotent, I, and I he's, when somebody says God's a, a white dude with a fucking beard no. and lightning bolts or some shit. No. Now, now Jesus was a Jewish man because that's where he was born. He was okay, born in Bethlehem. But but sometimes I get the funniest definition of what God is. That me. was God incarnate on earth was Jesus. I mean, we all anybody that knows the Bible or reads the Bible knows that. Okay, but. but I just wanted to hear, what, and you said the perfect answer, which makes perfect sense. Well, I'm all about the truth, man. I believe in spirituality. I believe in the Lord myself. Yeah. But I just like to hear what people's definition of God is. Well, hey, he's not a person. He's just on. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Everything people, all the time. Some people have their own dogmatic beliefs, and God's. Well, a that's, white somebody, man. that's somebody. That's somebody. Muhammad, or God is a, this white dude with a beard, and uh, he throws lightning bolts at people. I'm like, that's Zeus, you fucking idiot. That's that's somebody <laughs> trying trying to put a something with a square peg in a round hole. That's just that's it's bigger than that. Yes, way bigger. It's it's even bigger than what we can comprehend and understand. I look at it like God is me. God is you. God is. He's everything. Air. He's. God is he is the universe. He's everything around us. He created all of it. He's and the beginning you know, and the end. Period. You probably don't want to go, but I'll say this. The last psychedelic trip that I had on mushrooms, I found out that God is in everything because everything yeah. communicated with me. The grass, the trees, the birds, everything talked to me when I did that trip. I think the original design for everything with Adam and Eve was to be that way. We were supposed to be connected with everything that we were around. And, and that kind of like I, God. Is connected I got to get with us. Severed from this ego we're talking about, and leave it. And when I left my ego, I felt so free—the freest I've ever felt in yeah. my life—and so loved and in the presence of just perfection, the way yeah. it should be. Where you're like, I can die right now because I know I'd be perfectly happy. I'm severed from my ego. Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. And that Jason thing is gone. I left that. 
and then when I came back to it, I got to, like I said, commute. getting to have that opportunity to feel that gives you the chance to say, Hey, you know, how can I experience this without that, but have it in my everyday life. And then you can start a different part of your relationship with God from there. Too. And that's a, that's a whole nother track to go down. But this is a, one thing I'm very sure, yeah. on believing in is psychedelic therapy is about to be available for people that have PTSD, anxiety, depression. I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing because I've done it. Separating from your ego is a good thing. Ego death. I don't, I don't condone like just tripping balls every day or anything, but I think it's something you, that's, a, I think it's, it. no, I've, I've did it. Yeah. Well, we want, that's another story, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, what did you try? Everything. No, <laughs> but you as far as psychedelics go, everything, but you didn't have your fair share. Of oh, I did a lot of LSD in my twenties. Um, I say a lot. I did enough to kill a couple of elephants anyway. But you know how much it takes to kill an elephant? I, I need to pull up the dose because I <laughs> wasn't being literal with that. This is my brother getting. Like, yeah, I know that actually <laughs> medically they, they wanted to find out what the lethal dose, the LD50 of LSD is. Well, yeah, that's what it is. It's 50, 50 milligrams, is that what? Or it's 50 something. It's, it's far more than what you would think it is. It's like you can't die on it. Yeah, you can't die on psychedelics. But it can make you literally. It can make you feel like you need to be in a rubber room. <laughs> That's why setting is very important. And your you know, intention, like, why are you going to do it? What is your purpose? As, as long as you're doing things in a controlled environment and you're doing it like under somebody's supervision that knows what they're doing okay. and you're taking a very light dose of it to start off with to see if that's okay yeah, and you can even handle that yeah you don't need to you don't need to be jumping out there yeah. you don't because trust me doing that kind of stuff if you get too far out there it can turn on you it's scary but, you can face some dark parts but some of the but some of the best inflection that I've ever had on my life and being able to get perspective on me and, and how I feel and the why I feel the way I feel and just so many other different things you can't get to when you're just in the normal realm as far as being sober. I think that segregation from leaving your ego behind. I was able to get at parts of me that I never would have understood or had any idea were even there because of that. And you find out what love is in a whole other Well, way. that's that's where, like you were saying, God comes in. You find out that I found out the grass communicated with me the grass loved me i found yeah. the trees loved me i found out the birds loved me they all everything talked to me and it sounds woo woo and it sounds like I'm. if the grass looks like it's greener on the other side you need to water your grass on your side <laughs> that's the perspective you kind of get from as it or i talked to the dirt psychedelic i felt like everything i was i was completely intertwined and interwoven and connected to everything at that moment. I love to look at the stars and and gaze at the stars at night whenever I was doing that because it was like I could literally see the stars kind of like periodically just moving, not constantly moving, but moving and kind of dancing around, making these different shapes. Now are you talking clouds sober or with a Oh no, I'm talking about whenever I was psychedelic. Okay. Yeah, psychedelically impaired or whatever you want to call that it. That is where you need to be if you do experience a psychedelic. I believe is the most important. You need to be in a good state a good, of mind. A good outdoor setting so you can be with nature. You do. You need to be in a good state of mind. Because nature will communicate with you. And it's it's probably it's probably you, you just the main thing is you don't want to be around anybody that's going to do anything to be of detriment to you or your psyche while you're doing that. Yes. So we're done. We'll go ahead and leave you guys with that that uh, little tidbit on psychedelics. Set and setting, folks. Don't just randomly do it. We're not promoting it. We're just no. Saying, hey, 
it can serve a purpose. It can change your life. Yeah. That's it. I don't want to sit here and rant on psychedelics for an hour or anything, you know? No, but it's a good introspective tool to be able to it is. I, get to know some things about yourself that I'm you would otherwise not know. I'm a big believer in it. Big believer. Big, 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 big believer. Yeah, we're not condoning tripping every day or every week, but when you need to do some stuff therapeutically, there's a right and a wrong way it, to do things, period. I think when you do it and you go on that trip, you don't want to do it again for maybe six months or a year. Well, at first, you, you get, not when you first do it, to do it you, again for another my trip. first time I did it, I got such a, a look at myself. I didn't like everything I saw, and I was like, man. That can be the purpose. Well, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. You get to see some things that you so don't. You don't just get to see all the, the good stuff that you project or whatever kind of facade you think you're giving off in everyday life. You get to see, oh, this is really what I am, and this is really what I'm doing. But it also gives you a chance to see those kind of things and then work on yourself and be like, you know what? That's not who I want to be, and that's not who I am. That's where this therapy is really coming into play now because you do get those perspectives and then you can come back with a therapist and integrate and talk about it and figure out how to fix it. Having therapy has been such an instrumental thing in my life and a few times there's been some pretty major heavy things that I've had to get through in life and without that. That'd be good for everybody. Oh yeah, I agree a hundred thousand percent. The people that look yeah. at somebody and go, oh, you're a pussy because you gotta go talk to You know what? Well, fuck you. Everybody's, everybody in this world <laughs> feels like that they need some help at some point in their life and it's like you know what the 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 people that are really brave and really care about themselves and care about figuring out why they feel a certain way they go and they get help and they figure it out and they deal with it and it doesn't mean you got to go to therapy the rest of your life but you do what you got to do to take care of your mental health because if you don't have that then you don't have everybody anything everybody needs an unbiased opinion from somebody outside that's a professional i think it's a amen. wonderful thing for them to do amen you may not need to do it on a regular basis but maybe once a year you need to do it maybe every six months you need to do it maybe every month just one time a month go see that person and just dump on them dump all your garbage yeah, and, shit. Just and take a big shit on them just unload everything and then let them and like i said also biased opinion and go these are some things you can work on these are some things that i see that you are having issues with you may not recognize these things but with that unbiased opinion you can get from a good therapist hey could be great for you yeah, and like I was saying, it doesn't mean you got to do it the rest of your life. It just means that whatever the issue is, you're focusing on that and you're dealing with it right then. God damn, it's expensive to go to a therapist. It is, but there's other options out there, like where you can find good free therapy and counseling from people. Like, I'm say, just take mushrooms and talk to a tree. Well, you can, you can, you can. <laughs> you, if you're involved in a good church, usually you can find a good counselor there, or they can, or they can put you on to somebody that, even if it does cost some money, it will be reasonable and it's not going to be something that exorbitant for somebody that just can't afford it. There's other avenues. You just got to have to kind of. Do you really want the change? You'll seek it out and you'll find it, and and that's one of the ways you do it. Research, you know. but there's there's uh, there's places there is yeah. God, if you want to do anything in life, you will put in the damn legwork. You will do whatever you got. Okay, do well the best life. therapist is one hundred twenty dollars an hour. I can't afford that, so scratch that. It's like, well, you know, go to your church or look for some free support out outreach groups and stuff in your local community in your local area. There's there's always somebody somewhere that knows someone that that, that has cares. a bleeding heart for somebody that somebody cares about cares. something like that. Somebody does, and they're willing to help, or they know 
know somebody that is for a fair, reasonable rate, that's going to be something affordable to you to, you know, if you, if you're on a impaired income, you're spent, you got a family, five kids, what do they call make 40,000 a year. It's like, you got to do something. So what do they call that when you go into, uh, um, see one of these therapists and they have like a schedule that they put you on where they lower the cost based on your income? I forgot what that's called. Uh, I'm not exactly sure either, but it's, uh, There's plenty it's just, they have that, they have just income based programs and stuff for people that there's plenty of them that do it. I can't remember the exact name, yeah. but probably somebody out there is going, it's this, you dumbass fucking idiot. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, it's what it comes down to is we live in an information based society nowadays. Like, get on Google. Come on. How hard is it to hit search and find That's some of this I stuff always, and ask the questions? It's like, time, every time you, I get do you really want help? Do you really want to do it? You just got to do it. You know, Google, Google's <laughs> evil and they track you and all that good stuff. But seriously, the one good thing that Google's there for is if you can't find something like what I'm talking about. Hey, I'm not the brightest person in the world. I ask Google shit all the time. You can always, <laughs> you can always Google it. I find that. That's right. We Google shit. We Google every once in a while. I still Google. Sometimes I bang it because Google's dumb, but. I've been using DuckDuckGo because I like to remain yeah, anonymous. Yeah, DuckDuckGo is cool too. There's a lot of. Just whatever your platform is. Mr. Joe Rogan got me on DuckDuckGo. Uh, yeah, DuckDuckGo has been around. I've been using it off and on for about three and a half or four years, but. Hey, man, I've really enjoyed being a guest on your show, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Don't go yet. Wait, what? Don't go yet. Oh, we got more? Yes, absolutely. Oh, we got to go get a drink, right? Well, listen, here's the thing. I'm thirsty. I am just diving into Jack's life, and we've only scratched the surface. We've got to his teenage years now, so hang for a moment while we take a break, and we will be back with you shortly after we get a drink and leak our lizards. Oh, my God. Know where we were. Well, we don't know where we were at, but we're gonna go ahead and get back started. We had a drink break, we ate some barbecue. Um, Damn good brisket. Yes, it was. I think the main thing we got off uh, on a tangent talking about many different avenues in life that you went down, but the main thing, you know, I was talking about the trajectory kind of of your life and where it was going. You ended doing the athletic prowess part of your life a coach kind of killed that dream for you trying to control your life telling you something well, my bad attitude is what really killed yeah, me yeah, okay so you know, like you said the ego had something to do with it that guy was talking about psychedelics yeah. um but then after that okay so high school's over jack are you going to college I went for one semester, <laughs> did all my basics, and then How I was... How you my brother? And I don't even know that. Yeah. I went for one semester up at Amarillo College, so went back to Amarillo for a little while, and uh, fell in with some people doing the wrong kind of stuff and whatnot up there, so it's like that didn't last very long either, and then, long story short, I got back home in Dallas, Fort Worth and worked for a little bit and then finally caught on with an opportunity to go to Georgia by about the time I was 20 years old and had a job working out there for five and a half years for Georgia doing manual labor. Yeah, I was delivery driver out there. I I was delivering uh, pine straw and wheat straw and stuff to people's houses and then I would do firewood and stuff, deliver that in the wintertime and sell pecans. How many years that last? Almost five and a half, six years, pretty close to that. I hurt my knee finally is what screwed all that up. So eventually it ends, and then what do you decide is the next plan? Since you've been in Atlanta, Georgia for a while, do you want to stay or do you want to go somewhere else? No, I eventually got to where, you know, when I initially left, it was like I just, you know, still 
in search mode trying to find myself didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life or have any direction as far as what should I do about the rest of the time I'm going to be an adult but uh, I just got to where I was homesick and I missed home you know Uh, so I eventually came back home came back yeah yeah that's cool. Got a job working at City Group in Las Colinas with Richard or whatever. He helped get me on up there. One of our friends. You didn't stay there for very long, did you? City Group. I was there for two and a half years. Okay, you did a longer stint than I thought. Yeah. But that's definitely not your thing, right? I mean, working in a, a cubicle, no. sitting in a box all freaking day. By the time I had left there, I had just kind of started discovering like poker. Poker was getting real popular, and I'd been going and playing at some poker tournaments at some different places and doing pretty good in them, oh, making a little money. Yes, this so, is a very interesting portion of your life. Jack became consumed with poker. He started reading poker books. I remember you reading poker books all the time, and you started mastering the art. I of learned odds Texas and percentages. Yeah, I learned odds and percentages, and then I really got to where I was able to go crush a poker game pretty good there for a while because there were so many people that were new getting into it you know when chris moneymaker won the world series of poker it made everybody think oh well this average guy won millions of dollars well we can go do that so everybody and their mother wanted to start playing poker and there were so many fish that didn't know how to play it was just easy to go sit and pick people off and make money in a game and i did that for a while but then i eventually caught on to you know when the game started getting a little tougher it was like hey you know i'm just I see these places they have dealers and the dealers seem like they're making pretty good money I ended up having a couple these friends places, what are you talking about casinos no I'm talking about local poker rooms here in Dallas underground. Fort Worth yeah underground mm-hmm. hidden from kind of like a speakeasy yeah not, not everybody gets to know about this place this is you have to know somebody to get in only. yeah you have to have an invitation to get in pretty much yeah or somebody's got to vouch for you and give a good word on you or something something along those lines but so you started playing in those games I did, but I, I started uh, networking with enough people and had enough friends that had already known for a while or whatever that were, were dealing or that owned poker rooms and stuff. Then I got started working at a place out in Dallas. Uh, I won't name the name of that either, but uh, ended up working there for about a year and a half. And I was started off working just three nights a week and making close to a thousand dollars a week working three nights a week and you know just off my tips and then it was like I was working five six nights a week and I was bringing home you know anywhere between fifteen hundred and two grand a week at some point you know just dealing poker sitting at a table so I was like I get to do what I love and I get to make this all this crazy stripper money I don't have to get naked it's like it was just great you know but uh, So you got addicted to doing that for a while? Well, it was easy money, so it was hard to turn it down. I didn't have a job skill where I can go out and make 80 or 100 grand a year, and I could almost do that dealing poker if I decided to stay committed to it five nights a week throughout the whole year. Right. Those places are open every night of the week. and That's hard to turn down, but one thing I have got to know, because I've never been to one of those places, do they have armed security? Some of them do, and some of them don't. But they all, everybody that owned one of those places had guns. Yeah. So, for protection. Yeah. You're playing. Video around. cameras are pretty standard everywhere, inside, outside the front door, you know, all the okay, rooms. We've seen this kind of stuff in movies. Did any of these places ever get robbed when you were there? 
No, I wasn't ever one that got robbed when it happened. I've I've had some places that I've worked at, and they've been robbed, like, you know, one of the nights that I wasn't working there or something like that, or they have a police raid, and the police come in and raid the place and take everybody to jail and take all their money and stuff like that. What but, a blessing you miss those nights. Yeah. Yeah, I was always pretty fortunate about that. I got I got lucky, I guess you could say, on some of that. God was watching out for me for sure. Yep, there you got some real good luck. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, luck's kind of a a man created thing or whatever. I just, you know, I'm a more spiritual person, so I like to think some that God people say you make your own luck. watches out for me. Some people say it's divine intervention. Some people say it's you make your own luck. Well, yeah, I've you got set my own. yourself up for good things to happen by where you put yourself, who you know, what you say, what you do. All those things come together in that moment that this lucky thing supposedly happens. Well, I think bottom line is making good decisions is good no matter what we're talking about, whether it's just you making decisions for your life or if you in, in, try to include God as a part of that and you're a spiritual person, but definitely the latter part for me. Well, I do believe in the higher power. I believe in God. I believe in prayer. I believe all this stuff. It runs on higher vibration when we tap into that power and we we, we get in contact with it. Sure. And we use it in our lives. So not everybody else does, and I respect that. I respect whoever for whatever beliefs they have. I don't give a damn. Every, anybody can believe whatever they want to. I'll share my opinion. You'll share yours. And, you know, if it helps somebody, great. If they don't want to agree with it, you know what? I respect what you got to say, too, brother, well, sister. Having a near-death binary, whatever you are. Having a near-death experience when I was 18 years old was what really opened my eyes to the fact. And, I mean, I already had a relationship with God, but I was... And now we're going backwards. That's kind of what really made me a believer right there. We got up to where you were playing poker, but now if we go back to the near-death experience, this is at what age? I was 18. Okay, and this was a trip to Mexico, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and a couple buddies went down there one weekend just to go have some fun and blow off some steam, yeah. So that didn't turn out well. Y'all got uh, T-boned by a freaking big-ass bus speeding, right? Yeah, it ran through a four-way stop that we had already kind of approached and made the stop and started to, you know, proceed through the intersection or whatever. And then next thing I know, it's like somebody just turned out the lights. You know, everything just went black. Boom. Just and I just I didn't. It was almost like I went into a dream state. Okay, and then you wake up where? I, I didn't just wake up. I mean, I wake up and I just felt like I was ascending into the air, and I could see this car below me, and this saw this little ambulance pulling up. Oh, like the car. you literally felt like your spirit detached for a second. This is this was what I experienced whenever that happened, and I didn't know what happened while this was going on, but. After some, you know, 15, 20 seconds of sitting there watching all this and seeing everything just kind of slowly, real slowly drawn back and getting smaller, it's like I had this weird feeling like, did I die or something? Because it's like I'm sitting there, I see my friend's car, and I see this ambulance. You have an outside perspective looking down on what's going on. Yeah, it's so surreal. It's like you just feel like it's not even real. It's like you're in a dream state or something. But it's but it feels so real. That's that's what makes it different than a dream, too. That is a general report from lots of people that have near-death experiences is that they're outside, almost like a video camera is watching them and the other people surrounding them, what's going on. And they're like, hey, that's me right there. 
Yeah, it's like you go into this third-person view of watching your life happen right in front of you. It was very surreal. And then I saw, you know, not only my friends getting pulled out of the car, but myself, too. And then wasn't long after that, it was like this big rush of bright light came over me that was so bright I couldn't see anything. And next thing I know, I wake up and... Here I am. I'm in the emergency room. It says, Oh, thank God you weren't naked, handcuffed in the back of some Mexican car. Yeah, I'm going into the front entrance of this place on a gurney, and there's a couple guys hauling me in there, rolling me in on this gurney. And it's, I see this briefly, like as I go in the, the, the door to take me into the hospital, it says urgencia. And I'm like, I guess that it's must mean, I, I guess that must mean emergency room. And I was at this big hospital. Don't remember exactly what town that was in, but uh, had a massive concussion, had two herniated discs in my lower back. I couldn't sleep flat on my back for almost the better part of a year. Probably for four or five months after that, it was really hard to just even, you know, bend over to put my socks and shoes on. It took me at least two or three months to get to where I could even attempt that. But how great looking back at that, at, I mean, not like that's a great situation, but looking back at that situation going, Look at you were what, 18 years old? Mm -hmm. And you're 42 now, and you should probably be crippled or in a wheelchair or hobbling around, and you're a relatively healthy guy. Yeah, I take good care of myself now. I hadn't always been the case, you know that. <laughs> well, lots of people would have agitated that situation and made it worse, and by now, they wouldn't have been able to get around and move. So you must have done something right with your health. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I've got a good teacher here that's taught me a lot, too. My brother's pretty knowledgeable as far as being a certified dietitian and personal trainer for a long time. So having somebody it. like that to get your information from for a long time didn't hurt. Of course, I do a lot of my own personal research and stuff You're now, too. You're very good about doing your own research. Uh, I try to keep up with whatever the latest, greatest stuff is that's coming out as far as cutting-edge health techniques and stuff you can do to give yourself and your body an advantage to being more healthy and keeping your not only your immune system in good shape, but your body in good shape, too. That's something that's real important to me. That's, that's, that's it changed be important a to lot. everybody, and not to get off on a tangent about the little... Uh, pandemic incident right now, but that's one thing that nobody is talking about. No government, no anybody. I don't hear anybody talking about people taking care of their health, their immune system, any of that stuff, and it should be something that we all pay attention to, whether there's a pandemic or not. Yeah. Well, and I so mean, much that, of it comes from... That's something that would go a long ways as far as people taking care of their immune system and their health and, you know, staying away from sugar or certain kinds of grain processed foods and this and that and the other. And it's like, you know, you could make a huge difference in your own health without even ever making a trip to the doctor. You just got to have the knowledge and do a little bit of research and start applying some of those principles to your life. It's like... Wasn't it Socrates that said, let food be thy medicine? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And th think how long ago this dude said that. He had no scientific proof, but he just knew it. And it still holds true to this day. It's the old saying, you are the adage, you are what you eat. <laughs> it's true. You put trash in, you get a pile of trash to live in. If you put good food in your body, you get a Ferrari to drive around. 
And it's also not just what you put in. It's like, how are you doing it? And what time of the day are you eating? What what time of the day are well, you, you can get not eating? To the there's, micromanaging every minute detail. Yes, there's absolutely. there's some things that help put your body in autophagy that just put you at a huge advantage over somebody that's maybe doing the same diet just by restricting yourself to a certain eating window per day or something. Even say like just that. There's so many different interesting facets to your diet that you could delve into and dive off oh, into here. You can get into the different forms of fasting. You can get into the different forms of yeah. cleaning up your diet. You can get into the different forms of PUFAs, the different kinds of oils and the healthy oils. You can get into what supplements are healthy. You can get into um, biohacking like the recent episode that I had where you can use all sorts of different supplements and yeah. things that most people don't even know about. Peptides, things like this. Well, it's, it's kind of like a disease it's or a endless. sickness a little bit. It's, it's, it's like it's once you start getting into this stuff and you really care about it and you really start seeing the benefits and the results of it, it just makes you kind of feel validated and it makes you just want to delve that much deeper into it. It's like, well, how much better can I really feel if I really go after this? Yeah, because, I mean, you sure as hell don't know shit if all you believe in is the FDA food pyramid. <laughs> oh, that's that, nothing could be a bigger lie than the food pyramid, just well, a general yeah, period. Hey. This is a discretion, discussion that I have with a lot of friends now and stuff, too. And it's like, folks, we just get we just get flat out lied to by our by our government and people in media on a regular basis. And the sooner you can realize that, the sooner you're doing yourself a favor. Big money in the big markets, the big industries, whatever food, whatever people are making the seeds, Monsanto's, whoever it is, big pharma, they're all paying, they're all lobbying government, FDA, who whatever body they need, the who. They'll, they'll pay them off to say whatever they want. Them All to those say. people design stuff and design these different laws and stuff or restrictions with the FDA or whoever their locally approved people are at your debt. But you know what's sad about it to me? They don't want to help people. Their their intent is it's, to it's about hurt money. you it's, and it's make all, money. It's yeah. not, I don't even think their intent is to hurt people. I think their intent is to make money. And at the sacrifice well, of people, it's okay. They don't care. Well, if it, if that kind of diet's keeping you sick, then who's who's making money from that? Doctors and pharmaceutical companies, and yeah, I mean, it just it it's trickles like down. All working together, it trickles <laughs> down the line. That's exactly right. And there's a way bigger picture here than what most people are going to give credit to or understand. But it's something, the more you dig into it, the more you find out, man, oh, this man. is, this is really this a rabbit sickening hole. deep rabbit hole you can get into. So let me get back to where I was wanting to delve a little bit further into inquiry because we got into your poker career. Oh, yeah. And we got into you doing the, the nighttime dealing at these shady underground um, poker joints where... You know, guys got guns and shit like that, and protection. And well, it's, uh, you, there was a couple places I worked where I didn't feel safe, but I wouldn't say that any of them were really shady. Yeah, it just sounds like something that most people would be scared to be involved in. But I'm sure you knew everybody well enough and the situation well enough, the players that you felt comfortable. But those are also the kind of places where there's so much freaking money being tossed around. Just Some of the bigger games I went to, we they did have security there, yeah, like off-duty police officers. Somebody would want to rob one of those games. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there was even a few games that I dealt at over in, in North Fort Worth 
at a particular place or whatever where certain judges and local prosecutors and attorneys would come and play and stuff too. They need to spend doctors, money. doctors that are high dollar, you know, oh, big practices and stuff. People would come in there. When you work at some of these bigger, work at some of these bigger games where people are buying in with instead of just buying in with a few hundred, they're buying in with a few grand just to get started, and then by the end of the night, they're they're wanting to say, hey, give me five, ten thousand rack and chips or something. It's like that's when you know you're working at a big game. There's almost a hundred grand on the table, and people are gambling with it. Yeah, that's a pretty big game. So, did you ever see the movie Molly? Yeah. Okay, that girl was doing it on a whole other level, though. Mm-hmm. She had celebrities, politicians, all sorts of people involved in her games. Where there was millions of dollars at a time. Sure. Well, yeah. There's every every size, that's shape. Another, and that's another level. You were definitely doing some upscale gaming here in the DFW Metroplex, but. I'm glad you got out of it because it ends up bad for everybody eventually. Well, the biggest thing why I got out of it is just working in these local poker rooms. It's not like a regular job where you go punch in and punch out at a certain time. You go into work at, say, 6 o'clock at night for a game that starts at 7. Well, the game gets started up. It goes good till about 1, 2 in the morning. You may get off that evening. Or it could go really good, and you may not get off till 1 or 2 the next afternoon. Right, because if they want to keep playing, you got to stay there and keep dealing. There was a couple times I worked at games for over 24 hours before I got let go. Good God. So, it's just... They didn't have anybody to cycle for dealers. No. Oh. And a lot of them still don't. They just have who they have, and they let those people sit there and work till they can't work anymore, pretty much. Good Lord. But, yeah, it was just it was too hard on my body. I couldn't keep doing that. After 10 years of doing that, it was like I was I was desperately in need of just having a normal routine again. So I the cyclic nature of your body, the way it needs to see the sunlight. Yeah, I couldn't handle the sun, it anymore. The sun going down at night, it's like that is your circadian rhythm, and you're going against completely what your body well, is. One night I get off at one or two in the morning. The next night I go work, and then I'm not getting off until twelve the next afternoon. So it's like my body never had a regular sleep pattern for ten years. And a lot of people don't even think this, but that shit kills you slowly. Oh, it definitely made me feel like I was dying by the time it got close to the end. I just couldn't do it anymore. So, you said the end. So, the end came, finally. And what happened after that? Did you get into uh, construction or what? Yeah, I I jumped back into construction, working for our uncle and stuff a little bit and had a few other odd and end jobs doing some things on my own just okay trying. something something very happened so something very important during this period of time happened mm, okay <laughs> you may not agree you may totally agree i hope you do well you, you I'm, had, i'll be honest about whatever you had a child yeah <laughs> important right yeah no. okay there you go no that was that was big big game changer for me because uh, i don't know what it's like to be a father so all of a sudden you became a father yeah well that happened four or five years after i'd quit dealing poker and stuff that kind of happened out of the yeah, blue I mean, but, after the poker game okay you're doing a little construction there's nothing major to i was trying here. to find me a new niche that was my niche for a I'm decade trying to jump to the big hot spots in your life you know? yeah you did some construction and it was the, yeah i was in the midst of still trying to find a, a niche you give a shit. and then kid comes along bam all of a sudden the next big point in your life baby yeah well Daddy. Yeah, and just the whole situation with, with him is, you know, everybody's got some kind of unique situation with all that. Of course, uh, me and his mother weren't together. 
Uh, it I, happens to lots of people. You're not the only one. No, I mean, I, we'd quit seeing each other. Bam, bam, thank you, man. Or I'd, I'd quit seeing her because we had some differences that I just knew were not going to work out. Yep, but uh, that wasn't the end of her. No, and then about a month and a half after I'd, I'd told her that I was going to, you know, see other people and quit dating her, it I get was a phone nice call. knowing you. I'm pregnant. Yeah, and I was thinking to myself after, you know, it had been almost two months or close to that, I was sitting there thinking like, yeah, right, this is just an attempt to try to rope me back in. But oh, no, she was there are some chicks that pull that stuff. Yeah, and it happens. And, but she was really pregnant, and she, you know, ended up having my son months and months later. Of course, I tried to take her to as many of her doctor visits as I could. I didn't, I wasn't able to make every single one of them because I still had to maintain employment too, but took her to most of her doctor's visits and I was there the day that Evan was born. I took her to the hospital and everything and was there for all that. Uh, and just so you got a, you got a baby boy then. Yeah. You got, you got this wonderful, healthy young man. Yeah. He was a big baby like us too. He was a little over 10 pounds. He was a big fat head just like us. Yeah. I was a little over 10 pounds. You were over 11, I think, or right at 11. If I, I was remember. fatter than you. That's all I know. You were a sumo baby. Yes. I came fucking kicking and screaming out. Jason, Jason came out in his little sumo diaper oh ready to start hitting people with a baton. <laughs> oh, this is beast coming out of this woman. <laughs> <laughs> so you had this wonderful baby boy. Boom. Life has to change a lot all of a sudden. Oh, I mean, it's just complete freak out. I've never been a dad. I've never had a, had a child to care for. I've never held a baby. It's like I so many new things for me. And I think probably by the time he was about two years old, I kind of started to relax a little bit and settle into my role. But it was like the first two years, I was just on edge and everything is freak out about everything, you know? I would have been freaking too. I was a way overprotective dad. And that's the first thing I would have done. Uh, upon hearing that news is freak out yeah I've been scared oh I was terrified but at the same time I mean that's how it happens to a lot of people and it's just you know you've, you've the situation is what it is it's how are you going to respond are you going to rise to the occasion or are you going to do something or do what you think is right or are you going to fold and I wasn't going to fold so yeah dude you gotta listen to Kenny Rogers you gotta know when to hold him when to fold him baby uh, yeah, there, there's no folding with a kid. It's like you're nope. I, you're all in or you're all out, and I was all in. So, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, your young man Evan happens to be here at the house right now, mm -hmm. and uh, he's grown up to be a wonderful young kid. He's, he's a great kid. I'm really lucky. Man, he's not a young man yet. I won't give him puberty yet. He's not there. Yeah, God's blessed me with a good little boy for sure. He's a good dude. Love him to death. We're having a great time having him over. So that's that's a huge change having a kid. You made your adjustments. You found a way to fit that into your life, and then, boom! The next big change in your life that I see happen is you join this extraordinary construction company that does metal work mm -hmm. with an ex friend of ours. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's somebody that we've both known for about two decades. This is pretty close to half our life now. But, uh, how'd that come about? How'd you get approached? Uh, I, I, well, not not to get into anything else, but I was just getting through my divorce, and it was like I'd got a job back here uh, in town again, working selling RVs at a place because uh, I'd been selling RVs before I'd got married and, and made a little bit of a good living doing that for a minute and uh, 
was going back to doing that. Some people I knew were like, hey, you know, we can get you a job. You come back to work here. You know, we'll get you started, blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And three days into that, I get a phone call, and it's Jared. You know, we had kind of talked some back and forth over the years and still kept in touch. And he's cool if we talk about him on a podcast? Sure. Because we'll only say good things. No, Jared's, man, he's, he's talking not, about it. There's not a bad thing in the world to have to say about him. He, the, guy's, the guy's good as gold. I mean, he's just a great human being. He's a great family man. He's a, he's a great boss. Yes. So, yeah. Jared's a good guy. He always has been. Uh yeah, he, he approached me and he was like, so what did you used to do for a living, you know, before this and this and the other? And I told him a little bit about my construction background and how I'd grown up around construction doing this first one thing and another. And he's like, okay. He's like, hey, do you got a resume? And I was like, well, yeah. And I was like, this is kind of weird. It's like, you know, we're talking on the phone. He's asking me all these questions. Do you have a resume? Did resume. he ask what for just in general? No, he just asked for one in general. So I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, shoot it over to me. Like, okay. And then after about 15 minutes, he was talking back to me on the phone. He was like, so would you like a job? And I was like, what? Like doing what? Well, he's somebody to come on and be project manager, do marketing and sales with him. Just all kinds of first one thing and another. Pretty much a utility guy, you know, filling in just kind of whatever role he needs because he's in a position where his company's just starting to kind of not, it, it had been launched he's, for a year. He's, he's growing. Or he two, help. but. He's growing, he needs help, he needs somebody to trust. Sure, pretty much the trust was the big thing, yeah. And then, of course, he knew that I had some experience in a couple of different things that he was needing some people to help him with, too. But, yeah, I mean, you know, long story short, here I am, it's almost exactly a year later. I started with him at the end of last January, the beginning of this past February, and we're at the end part of December now, and it's just been nothing but total growth with his company since I've been there. I mean, I don't remember a year where I've ever been this busy in construction like the whole year as I have with him. And this is through the pandemic crap and all this virus stuff going on, too. Yeah. So, And he's still... Uh, remained busy had enough business to keep everybody going we're still backed everybody. up we're two months out on work jobs as far as getting stuff started and getting so it finished right now that so. is a big blessing to make it through this period of time where so many people are hurting so bad for work the fact yeah. that he made it like that yeah, we actually hired several people, and we had as much, we had as many as like a, you know, ten guys working for us at one point during the summer. Of course, everybody doesn't stay on, and they some of them fall off or find other work. But it's, we've got, you know, and plus your got, workload is going to go up and down and fluctuate. There's going to be yeah. certain people you need to keep and make them full timers or keep them around pretty much full time, and other people that you float in and out of the. Difference. Counting myself and Jared, there's six of us now, whereas there was just me and him when I started. And of course, the one other guy that got hired on that my brother knows so very well. Up. He stepped up quick when he needed yeah. help. Yeah, pretty much. And he was in desperate need of a, another guy, kind of like me, but that could be more of the handyman, hands-on guy out in the field and, and take on some of the stuff that, of course, I just don't know how to do everything. But mine and Jason's good friend, Danny, it's just like and this guy. boy, Danny Benson, going way back to the Padre days when I was in my early 20s. Me and him were like cruising to South Padre like at yeah. least two to three times every year and spending just our a, days on the beach. Just another really, really great high-class individual that I've loved my whole life and cool been dude. with. Cool dude. And uh, great, great work ethic. Great. Oh, yeah. Technically great at... 
all the uh, skills that he needs to have doing the electrical work and other various things. Danny can work on anything. He's so, got an engineer. So basically, line. you're talking. You got the jack of all trades, and that sucks because your name's Jack. You should be the jack of all trades. Well, <laughs> I can do a little bit of this and that, and I can do a lot of things. But that guy puts me to shame as far as all that goes. He's just he's on another level. There's there's nobody like him. He can he can put on his plumber hat. He can be an electrician. He can do carpentry. He can do metalwork. You name it, you can think of something. Even if it's with electronics, it's like the guy's just a whiz. He's just oh, a genius. Oh, yeah, that sounds like Danny. He's but, a cool dude. So this is great. So that's where you're at right now. We're up to date talking about everything that's got you to this moment. Yeah. Here you are, Jack. You got a great job. You're working for a fantastic dude, Jared. One of your good buddies is even working there, Danny. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this great young man. I call him young man. Young boy, Evan. That, that you're raising um, so everything's going pretty outstanding and it's uh, just a day after Christmas so about to be New Year's what yeah. is coming for 2021 in Jack's life well, I'm, I've been just, you know, still... Uh, You're so stoic. Come on, man. Give me some well, fucking juice. I'm, I'm going to. I've got a few things I'm going to mention here. <laughs> but, uh, our, our father passed three years ago this past April. It has been three years this April. Uh, yes. We were left some land by him that got handed down from him to me and Jason. And I've been having serious plans to try to get moved down there. I've been living 15 miles from the property. Yeah, kind of. I live in Rio Vista right now, but Goat Neck's 15 minutes away, and that's uh, that's down on the Goat Neck Bend of the Brazos. This beautiful area in the hill country up here at the start of the Chisholm Trail. God beats this concrete jungle we're in right now. Oh, yeah. No, it's just so peaceful and just the scenery there is so beautiful. Some of the best sunsets I've ever seen has been down there in the hill country at Dad's house. Yeah, buddy. So um, that's where my heart is, and that's where it feels like home to me the most. I've I've already been uh, making plans to have a cabin shell built and delivered out there for this first part of this year coming up sometime. I don't know how soon it'll happen, but I'm saying That's maybe next on the bullet list. Bullet yeah, January, February sometime. Maybe, you know, I start working on doing everything out there when it warms up a little bit this spring. But this by this spring, for sure, I'm going to be doing something down there and try oh, to get man. moved down oh, there. Yeah, that's, a, that's a big plan for 2021. Yeah. So and then you think by the time 2021's over, we're going into 2022, you will probably be moved out there. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, I'll be down there. Okay, so that's a big statement for two yeah we'll do a podcast down there when you when you come out sometime. okay 2021 we'll be doing we'll a, do a goat neck podcast the goat neck podcast we'll be out <laughs> in the middle of the wilderness where you can pull your wiener out and piss on any tree you want and shoot a shotgun at the same time hey it's great man <laughs> uh, you can well, i think that's a good spot for us to go ahead and tail end this thing we can bookend it we've we've done it from the beginning to the end unless there's anything else about your life or anything we didn't discuss that you think we should bring up no i'll just i'll just mention briefly one other little thing it's like i've just uh just this past year or so kind of started dabbling with singing a little bit so it's like that's something i've got into the aspect of songwriting Jack, Jack and stuff. Gospel. i've got into singing <laughs> no nah, not just gospel i'm, I'm kind of kind of a little bit of everything gospel i sing a little bit of gospel but there's nothing wrong with that no, i like all I, of it i know that's not the main thing you want to but, say but uh I just enjoy singing in general, period. And country. Some, well, yeah, country some. Country's where your voice is at. 
I got some country, some blues. I've got a little bit of some soul in me too. I like okay. some of that. Well, you got a yeah. professional mic now. You got to get you a DAW, a digital audio. Yeah, we'll we'll send you a little so, clip over, and y'all. That's I'll send the whole thing something. now. Since Jack is talking shit and he's become a vocalist, now we're gonna have to hold him to this and make him give me a recording after he gets. Since he's got the gear, now he's got to get a DAW. He's got to get a, a track recorded with him and some good guitar, drums, all that stuff. And yeah, Julie Morris is going to help me with that. And lay it on us. But the best way to practice is with yourself. No, I'm going to be doing that too, but I'm going to get her to help me with laying down some backing tracks on the guitar while I'm singing. Well, in fact, before you leave here, I should get you set up on Wi-Fi and get Audacity, download it onto your computer, and maybe show you some nice Yeah, we'll make it happen. I'd love to let you guys hear a little bit of what I'm doing. Okay, well, there you go. So that's my brother. This is Jay from Keeping It Real signing out with Mr. Jackers here, and we were so glad you joined us today. Hopefully you had a Merry Christmas, and... New Year's is coming up really soon. I don't know if I'm going to have another podcast. Well, uh, this one's going to go out before the New Year's. So have a very, very happy New Year's Eve. And don't get in any trouble. Don't do anything stupid. Stay safe. And uh, I'll see you for the next year with some more podcasts. Thanks for having me, bro. Oh, you're more than welcome. My pleasure. Happy New Year's and happy holidays, everybody. All right. Take care, folks. Bye. Thank you.